This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Well, we are in the second week of a series called Back to Life. As we uh, just kind of get ready to do this, I want to bring two things to your attention. The first thing is that uh, we every uh, summer, kind of to kick off summer, have an evening together that I, I think is one of my most favorite evenings in the whole year. We call it the family prom. All right, so uh, I want you to just go ahead and mark it down. Uh, June the 7th, all right, we, we basically, uh, let's just kind of just be honest about this. It's just a big party, all right? It's, that's all it's for. If you're, if you're uh, married and you've been married for 20 years, you can go to the prom with your husband, right? Hey, y'all can go rich some Texas, go buy you some ugly gowns and come to the prom, right? If, if you if you married and you're newly married and never got to go to the prom together, you get to come to the prom. Maybe you're just dating and you need to go to the prom again, right? All right. We don't care what it's for. We call it the family prom because we want to spend the time with our families and our family as a church. And so uh, we have a great time with the kids. We have inflatables for the kids. We cater it so it's a, a free meal for you guys. And we bring in a DJ so that you guys can dance and act like fools. All right, so it's a good night. And also, uh, kind of that's going to be a great day for us as a church. Uh, June the 7th, we're going to do baptism for the first time here at Eastgate. Okay, so in the last several years, many of you have made decisions to follow Jesus, and uh, baptism is a public declaration of that decision. It is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As we go under the water, we symbolize his death, and as we're raised, we symbolize being raised to new life. So if God has brought new life into your life, it is an opportunity for us to share that. Uh, we want you to go ahead and sign up because of the way that we're going to to do this. Uh, so uh, sign up is at guest services. You can do that on your way out today, or you can check uh, the appropriate box on your connection card. Now, I want to take you back to a statement that we read over in uh, as we were kind of preparing for this series that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. In, in this conversation, Jesus is talking to a, a woman. He's, he's met her at a well in the middle of the day, and, and I want you to kind of understand that this woman is not living the kind of life that God wants her to live. There's great shame in her life. That's why she has um, uh, kind of avoided going when everyone else has gone to the well to draw water. She's there in the middle of the day in an odd time because she's ashamed of the life that she's living. See, the book of Romans tells us that when we sin, sin earns something. Okay, sin in our life will we'll just like our work at the end of the week, we get paid. Sin brings about a wage. And the Bible says that the wage of sin, what it earns is death. This woman is breathing, but she is not alive. And in this conversation with Jesus, we're going to learn a little bit. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says to this woman, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Far too many of us have embraced eternal life as something that God has reserved for us after we die. Let me just tell you something. Eternal life with Jesus begins right now. 
right? The life that God wants to give you, the life that God wants to instill in you, the life that God wants to resurrect in you begins right now, okay? It is a heaven on earth thing. God, through his grace and mercy, has enabled us to live the life that he wants for us. But see, we sinned, right? Just to be honest with everybody, we sinned. We earned death. And if you can think of it a little bit like a a prison cell, sin in its uh, nature traps us into death. Okay, I mean, that's just kind of the, the nature of sin. Sin earns death and it traps us in, in sometimes in, in portions of our lives. And so there are some of you that while you love Jesus and you really will get to celebrate and live with him in eternity, um, really, right now, maybe in your marriages, maybe in your vocations, maybe just in general, emotionally, you're not living the kind of life that you know God wants for you. You're not alive. You're breathing, but you're not alive. So we want to kind of zero in on this statement. This has been one of the kind of hallmark statements for us. And out of Revelation 1, the, the Jesus speaking, the, the resurrected Jesus speaking to the prophet John says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. <laughs> Jesus kind of amens himself right there. Y'all say that? That's good, guys. Amen. You won't say it, I will. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have the keys to hell and to death. Those things that you're trapped in, Jesus says, I have the keys. Sin earns you captivity and death. Jesus says, hey, I want you to understand, I live forever. I have the keys to get you out. And a lot of us, when we think about the kind of keys that we, we desire the Lord to kind of deliver in our lives, we, we want that magic silver bullet, right? We want the key that's going to go in and unlock the door and we can walk out. But I think a lot of the times when God is pointing us to life and he says, I have the keys, that word keys can also be translated principles. I have the principles that will lead to life. And so in each of these four weeks, what we're doing is looking at ways that death enters our lives. And today, I really don't think there's probably a more important message that I could share with you today. Because I want you to understand this. If you don't have a dream, you can't live. You can't live the way God wants you to. If, if you're not living with a dream, now I'm not talking about like Martin Luther King, I have a dream kind of thing, right? I'm not talking about the American dream. I, I'm talking about a, a dream that you have, have experienced as God's given it to you for your life. If you, if you don't have a dream, you can't live. That would actually be the first thing that I'll tell you today in your notes, that dreams are the vision that God has given us for life. Dreams are the vision that God has given us for life. And that vision comes in in different ways. Some of us have experienced God uh, providing his divine uh, direction for us as far as our careers go. Some of us have experienced that when it comes to our families, knowing that God has, has called us to have kids or to get married. I remember early on when my wife and I uh, got married, um, we, we knew 
we, we wanted to have some kids. We, we knew that was a part of, of the dream that we had for our family. But you know, sometimes dreams are difficult because for a long time, we, we waited. Right? But a dream is a, a vision that God gives you for your life. Number two, dreams provide purpose for everyday life. This is one of the most practical things that having vision for our lives does. See, early on when I, when I was in college, I really felt the Lord uh, call me to one day plant a church, to start a church just like ours uh, at, at one point in, in my life. And, and so when I got out of college and for a, a period of time, I taught um, full-time for five years here in Stanley County. And now, if, if I were just kind of navigating every day without understanding that God called me to do something in ministry, it, it, it would have been a, a really kind of a, a labor to go every day. Because I would have been saying, you know, I know this is not what, what God called me to do. I don't feel as passionate about this as I do about other things. But instead, as God was directing me in my life, I realized, all right, there are things that I can learn now that will help me later. And see, a vision provides purpose for everyday life. It makes the mundane meaningful when we embrace God's vision. And the third thing is that without dreams, you'll die. Without that God-directed vision for your life, you will live in death. There is no other way. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, this is out of the message, that if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they're attentive, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. When we, when we don't perceive, when we haven't heard from the Lord, when we don't have his vision, we stumble all over ourselves. Maybe you learned that verse the same way I did out of the King James, where it says that without vision... The people perish. See, if we don't have God-directed vision for our lives, we will live with death. It's impossible to live the kind of life that God wants you to without having his vision for your life at the center of it. And the thing is, I, I want you to understand that God does have a dream for you. He has vision for your life. And his dreams are, are, are powerful and meaningful. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, speaks to that. This is the Lord speaking to us, to the, to the nation of Israel. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, we need to understand that wherever we are right now, God wants us to dream. And without that dream, we're not going to be able to live the kind of life that he wants for us. And I don't think we see that in the Bible more significantly than we do in the life of Abram, who later on is going to be renamed and will become Abraham to us. You see, you probably know how all this starts, right? You are probably like me, you decided probably 800 times that you're going to read the Bible. All right, all the way through cover to cover, and that means you've read uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 about 800 times, and you stopped, right? You're probably, probably really familiar with how this story starts, right? God makes the world, 
It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And then we blew it. Right? We blew it. We sinned. And sin entered the world, and it literally broke everything that God designed. Relationships are difficult. Childbirth is difficult. Can I get an amen? Right? right? Making a living is difficult. Right? We, we did that. That's what sin did. And see, as the dust dies down from that, God begins his move of redemption, and he does it through a man named Abram. Abram moves from a, a, a town way out of the way. As a matter of fact, understanding the geography of his day, it, it's a, a catastrophic move. He uproots his family, takes several members of his family, and moves to the land that God directs him. And all the while, God is very much involved and very much blessing him. And to the point that when we pick up with his story in Genesis 15, Abraham is quite wealthy. He's fairly prominent. And this is how he responds to the Lord. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. So sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. So Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? You have given me no descendants of my own. Then the Lord said to him, You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord. See, there's something that starts to happen in this moment. God's been involved in Abraham's life. But God's blessings have, have really just enriched his life. And Abraham now is quite aware that the, uh, the legacy that I'm going to leave is not going to be the kind of legacy I want to leave. Maybe there's some of you that are here today and you feel that way. The legacy that if my life keeps going the way it is, the legacy I'm going to leave is not the kind of legacy I want to leave. He realizes that if he dies without an heir, all of his finances are going to transfer to a slave, one of his hired men. And Abraham says to God, God, what good is all this that you're doing if I don't have a son? And look at what God does. God takes Abraham, walks him outside, and says, look up at the stars and try to count them. You want a son? You want this many sons. See, I don't think that we understand the depth of what God has dreamt for us. We don't understand how big the dream is that God has for our lives, the kind of impact and legacy that God wants to leave through us. Because Abraham's dream was just quite simple. God, I'd like a son. And God says, no, Abraham, it's not that simple. You'll have this many. And as time progresses, we even see God in Genesis 17, 3, said this to Abraham, Abraham fell down. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant. This is my promise with you. You will be the father of many nations. Abraham, you want to be the father to a son? 
Look up at the stars. Your descendants will be as many as those. And I will father nations through you. Now, I want you to understand, Abraham's not like 25 at this moment. I mean, Abraham is well into his senior years. All right? And there's some of y'all that around here that are poking 60, 65, right? I mean, just imagine not having a kid for your entire life at that moment. And that's kind of where Abraham was. I mean, he's, he's a, a senior, gray-headed man that has yet to have a child with his wife. And God promises him, not only will you have a son, but you'll have this many. Can I tell you something today? If your dream has already come true, you probably weren't dreaming big enough. And I'd suggest to you, you might not have been dreaming God's dream. Because the dream that God wants for us is a, a God-sized dream. It's so big that we can't do it on our own. It's so big that we can't comprehend it because God wants to leave a lasting legacy through each of our lives. But when God drops that dream in our hearts, you know what immediately happens? Is that life and the enemy of our souls begins to war against that vision. So I want to go through three things that we see happen to Abraham that can kill the dreams that God's given us. All right, the first thing that can kill a dream is unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. Now, there's many of you that have experienced this. I mean, at this point in your lives, you, you've, you've said, maybe it's, I would like to, have kids. Maybe it's, I want to meet the man of my dreams. Maybe it's the, God, I'd just like to be able to retire one day. Really? All right. Unfulfilled expectations. And Abraham, well into his senior years, has longed for a son. And even though God has promised him one, there has been this long-standing expectation that through his wife, Sarah, he would be able to have a son. But I want you to watch how they deal with this. Genesis 16, just after God's promises, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Now, first of all, let me just explain to you, that was a cultural norm during that period of time. It's not today, okay? <laughs> um, but it was a cultural norm. Children were um, great economic assets. So when families were not able to have kids, they found whatever way it would work to have kids, okay? So the permission to use... Um, uh, maidservants or slaves as childbearers was quite normal. But see, the thing that I want you to see here is there's a temptation when our expectations are unfulfilled is that we try to take the vision that God has given us and do it on our own. 
We try to take the direction that God has pointed us in, and we try to do it without him. We try to do it our own way. See, the thing is, is that when God says he has a plan for us to prosper us and grow us, that he wants to give us a great, wonderful life, when he tells us those kind of wonderful things, we read Jeremiah, the truth is, is that he's telling us, hey, you know what? You're going to get this by doing it my way, not by doing it your way. But when expectations are unfulfilled, see, the thing is, Abraham is going to uh, sleep with this woman. They are going to have a son, but it's not going to be the son that God wants them to have. See, the second thing that can kill a dream is unrelenting doubt. Unrelenting doubt. And let me just tell you something that that doubt, I think, is, is something that as, as someone who's chosen to follow Jesus, right, the idea of doubt is going to be present, and we have to decide, are we going to receive or reject doubt? I mean, because the things that God asks us to do, they're often really absurd. You're going to have a child. When you're a very old man. I mean, look at how Abraham in Genesis 17, 17 deals with Abraham fell to his face. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man that's 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? I mean, he's laughing because he has embraced this kind of doubt perspective. And I want you to know that, that, that when, we, when God speaks to us, doubt, doubt often comes. And we have to decide, are we going to receive it? Are we going to let it in? Are we going to let it into our hearts, into our perspective, into the way that we think about the world? Are we going to look at God in the middle of the impossible and say, you can't? Or are we going to reject doubt? And the great thing about Abraham as he walks through life is that even though he encounters doubt, he never receives it and lets it become a part of the way that he sees the world. All right, so unrelenting doubt can kill our dreams. And then the third thing is unchangeable circumstances. I mean, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, in Genesis 18, it says this, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Now, so, so let me just kind of be blunt with you, okay? That means she had already went through menopause, all right? <laughs> She'd already had her hot flashes and all that kind of stuff, right? She was not physically able to have kids. An unchangeable circumstance. But let me tell you something about an unchangeable circumstance. Y'all listen, this is important. There's only one thing in the universe that's not changeable, and that's God himself. Any circumstance that we're facing, we think this can't change. I can. And God is going to do that in the life of Sarah and Abraham. See, God has given them a vision. You're going to have a son. Not only is it going to be a son, but there are going to be nations that are going to be born out of you. God is beginning his plan to redeem the world through this man. And we need to realize that the dreams that we have 
are going to help us navigate life. They're going to really propel our lives forward. And we need to embrace this, that if we're going to live new lives, we have to have new dreams. Because far too many of us have embraced the, the kind of common cultural dream for our lives. We just want more. I want more money in my bank account. I want more rooms in my house. I want more friends. I want more horsepower under the hood, right? And the thing is, is that whenever we get more, we're not satisfied. We want more. See, if we're going to live the way God wants us to, if we're going to live the life that he wants for us, if we're going to embrace a new life, if we're going to come back to life, we have to have new dreams. So what I want to do is give you permission to dream. I want to give you today three uh, kind of ideas that should help us dream with God, okay? Help us to receive his vision for our lives. Help us to live with that dream, to let that dream be fuel for the way that we live. The first thing that I want you to know is that we need to dream even if it takes a long time. We need to dream even if it takes a long time. See, for us as a, as a family, you know, we, we went into marriage wanting to have kids. And we were years and years and years. I mean, about, about a little over four years of, of trying to have a child before and far too many of us get, get to this stage where we, we really get a vision from God and we expect God to do it the next day. We, we, we kind of project a timetable on God as to what he's going to do in our lives. But look at what the Bible says about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He spent Decades living with the dream of having a son. I mean, he spent decades with the promise that God had said, hey, I'm going to do that. And he never gave up the dream that God was going to give them a son. And we need to dream even if it takes a long time. Proverbs 16, 9 says, in their hearts... Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You see, we often project our own plans onto God, but God has ordered the things that are going to happen. And we need to dream, even if it takes a long time. The second thing that we need to do is we need to dream, even if it sounds ridiculous. We need to dream. We need to dream even if it sounds ridiculous. And let me just kind of tell you that if you don't get that little gut feeling of this is impossible, it's probably not a God-sized dream. I remember sitting in a stoplight the moment that God kind of gave me um, the, the initiative to move back to Stanley County and to start a church here. There's this powerful moment in downtown Columbia. I was crying. And that evening when my wife got home, we were sitting in the, the kitchen, and I still remember saying this. I, I finally think I understand where God wants us to start a church one day. And she was so excited. She said, where? And I was like, in Albemarle. And she went, you're crazy. 
you're crazy. Because when God gives us a vision, it sounds ridiculous. It does. And I mean, really, in our hearts, we, we knew that, that God can do anything, but there was a part of us that looking at this, we thought, all right, you got to do this because <laughs> we're going to be in Albemarle. God, you know how it is there. As you know, people are pretty slow to move, but God's been so generous. All right, we could have never imagined what this would have been. All right, never. See, look at what happens with Abraham. See, God is actually going to do something pretty ridiculous with Abraham now that his son has been born that the the dream that we think right the dream is now over with well it's not Genesis 22 verse 2 then God said to Abraham take your son your only son Isaac whom you love and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about I just want you to understand something. Abraham didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He had a few interactions with God. That's it. And every time he talked to God, God did what he said he was going to do. You're going to have a son. Decades later, but God gave him a son. And now God said, that son I gave you, I want you to kill him. The promise that you've been waiting for, the dream that I gave you, I want you to kill it. And I want you to understand that in our journeys, in every one of our journeys, there's going to come a moment where we're going to have to decide whether we're chasing the dream that God has pointed us to or we're chasing the God of the dream. And that's where he was. Because in that moment, he had to decide, have I been pursuing the dream or am I really sold out to God himself? And that sounds ridiculous to us. I know it does. But see, I don't know about you, but I don't want a God that makes sense all the time. I don't want a God that I fully understand. I don't want a God that's just logical and rational because really, if I have that, all I have is myself. I want a God that occasionally doesn't make sense. A God that is smarter than me. A God who directs me to do things that I would never have thought of. That's what Isaiah 55 says. In Isaiah 55, God speaking of himself says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I mean, I want a God who's smarter than me. I want a God who understands me better than I understand myself, who understands the life that he's designed better than I could ever perceive it. And God in this moment is giving Abraham a chance to experience something he would never, ever have understood. As Abraham packs his son up, takes a servant with him, and sets off into the direction that God told him to. And as they begin to approach the place that God pointed out, he told his servant to stay back. And they travel on. And Abraham builds the altar. 
And he takes Isaac, who is most people, most scholars believe now several years old, and he ties him down on top of the altar. You know what? We learned something else about dreaming then. This is the third thing in your notes, that we need to dream even if we don't think we can. So I don't know where you are today, but some of you came in with expectations that haven't met. Some of you have been met. Some of you came in today having experienced uh, just great difficulty, maybe facing situations that you feel like are unchangeable in life. But God wants to give us permission to dream even when we think we can't, even when we think it's impossible. And here is Abraham obeying the word of the Lord, about to execute his son and sacrifice him in a burnt offering. And the word of the Lord comes again. In Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. It's like, like God's making a promise on himself. <laughs> like, you know, we make promises on, in the name of the Lord. He makes a promise in his name. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now look at this. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. See, God, as Abraham obeys him throughout his life, God keeps saying, this is your vision? No, watch. My vision for your life is bigger. Like, you want a son? No, look up at the stars. This is how many sons you'll have. You want, you want to have a family? No, l- let, me, let me just tell you, you're going to be the father of nations. And because you are willing to chase me, not the dream itself, because you're willing to give your life to follow me, even to the point of sacrificing the dream itself. Abraham, not only can you have the dream, but I want you to understand that your children will literally take the nations of their enemies. They will take possession of them. And through them, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. See, as Abraham responds to God's work in his life, God's dream for him begins to expand. And there are many of us that are sitting here today and we have that nagging suspicion that the legacy that we're going to leave isn't the kind of legacy that we want to leave. And we see in Abraham an invitation to live the dream. To live God's dream to embrace God's vision for our life, to let it become the direction for our steps, our moments, our days, to let it provide purpose for everything that we do in life. But we have to decide something when it comes to the dream that we're living. Are we going to chase 
the dream from God or are we going to chase the God of the dream? Let's pray. God, today, in this room, there's many of us that have had expectations in life that didn't come fulfilled. And even though you spoke to us, you directed us, you guided us, you kind of set our hearts on the dreams that you had for our lives. God, as they didn't come to fruition, maybe for some of us those dreams have been squashed. There's people in the room today, God, who have not embraced the vision that you have for them. Maybe some folks here today who have never even realized that without that vision, living this life is going to be impossible. And so today, God, I ask you just to bring us back to life. Give us the vision. Give us the, the calling. Give us the dream that you have for us. And by your grace and mercy today, God, let us chase the dream as we chase you. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, just eyes closed for a few moments. Let's be still. I want to remind you of something that's kind of been a theme throughout today's talk, and it's just this, that it's impossible for us to chase the dream that God has for us unless we're chasing Jesus. That means today, if you've been chasing whatever dream it is in your life, but Jesus is not a priority, he's not directing your life, he's not giving your life purpose, it's impossible to experience the kind of life that you were meant to live. But maybe today, there's some of us that would say, hey, you know what? I want that. I haven't been living this way. I know I haven't been living the way God wants me to. I haven't been living with the kind of purpose and direction. My life has not been focused on Jesus, but I want it to be. If that's you today, and you say that, I'm, my life has not been focused on Jesus, but I want to make that change. I want him to be the central focus of my life. Raise your hand right now, if that's you. God today for those of us that are here that need to chase you, not chase the dreams, God. We just got to chase you and you'll give us the dream. God, first of all, forgive us of our sins. God, we've failed you. We've done life our own way. We've not been the kind of people that, that you want us to be. And Because of that, God, we've lived in sin. That sin has earned death, but we ask you to come through your grace and mercy, through the power of your blood and redemption and bring life to us. Bring us back to life. You are the resurrection and the life, and we want to live in that. So use, God, that in our lives. Apply your blood. Clean us. Free us. Let me ask one more question today. There might be some of you to, that might recognize this. Have you had a dream that you've let go of? But you, you feel encouraged today to dream again. If that's you, God's given you a dream, but you've walked away. You've let it be killed, but you want to embrace that dream again. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand. So God, for my brothers and sisters that are here today, we just ask you through your power and grace. 
Help them to chase you, not the dream. But God, lead them on. Give them vision. Allow that to sustain them and give them purpose in everyday life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.